Welcome back to the Programmatic Digest podcast, a discussion on top programmatic and digital news with other digital ninjas. I'm your host, Ellen Parker, your very own Programmatic Sensei. If you love how intriguing the episodes are and don't want to miss a new one, head over to ProgrammaticDigest.com to sign up to our weekly or monthly newsletter. You can also check out the episode show notes, which includes referred articles and expert information on our website, again, ProgrammaticDigest.com. In the Sunset's Corner this week, we welcome Shelly Stone. Shelly has nine years of experience in digital media, from SEM to programmatic to strategy. She is a media strategist for Breakthrough Digital. And after lunch, she works very closely with media traders, account manager, and sales director to make sure that the best result possible are delivered with an all hands-on deck approach. Um, her passion is truly, truly quality inventory and supply path optimization, which I've had the pleasure of working with very, very closely, and I can attest to that. You can find Shelly on LinkedIn. Welcome to the Sunset's Corner, Shelly, such an expert in brand safety and supply path optimization on the podcast. It's quite an honor. I've listened to your podcast, <laughs> and uh, I hope I measure up. I, um, I know you will. You're <laughs> absolutely fantastic. I mean, a conversation with you is like opening five Guinness book on programmatic. Oh, it's just so much knowledge you. that comes out. So we're pretty excited to have you. Thank you. Um, so we're going to cover a couple articles if time allows today. But the first one I really wanted um, your opinion on is actually a commentary from Carlene Lukovic, a Media Post um, author. The articles itself is called practical ways to protect campaigns and staunch growing CTV ad fraud. So let me just recap this article really quickly um, for our listeners. Media Post reported an ad fraud scheme called out in a pixelate blog in which thieves <laughs> exploited mobile app advertising security loopholes by using consumer devices as proxies. And I'm quoting directly from the article here. That scheme, which became, I believe, inactive about mid-January, was served has served the spotlight of a growing fraud concern in the industry, right? So they used code to, to disguise standard banner ads purchased on Grindr's Android app to look like video ad slots on Roku CTV devices. So basically, those spoof ads were sold on programmatic exchanges, but the objective was to make money by passing off a low CPM mobile display unit as a much higher CPM unit. Okay, so so what's your what's your your take on this? Um, I know you brought this article to me, and I was telling you before we started recording that there was so much detail, and I would love for you to walk us maybe walk us through the article and walk us through how to handle this and what your your um, your comments are. It's not surprising. Fra uh, spoofing is probably the biggest problem now, and it's happening in OTT and CTV. One of the biggest reasons we have no protection, we have no safeguard. There is apps, ads, TXT. It has no teeth. It's not ads, TXT yet. And most CTV inventory is in app. So we don't have a lot of protection. In this scenario, when a user open grinder, they would offer uh, a display ad impression 
that was mimicking, of course, CTV. Oh, wow. Okay. The new ad requests for video, and they claim to be Roku apps. Now, what was really interesting is if you, I, I pulled down the list of all, all of the Roku apps, and they were very fitness TV, Discovery, uh, Cowboy Movies, just very common Blue Mermaid Theater. And very common if a media trader were to see these, it would send up no red flag. And that's why this is so, I think, dangerous. And we really have to stay on top of it, mit you know, mitigate as much as po possible. Break it down even a little bit, bit uh, more, because if I'm, I'm trading and I'm pulling a, an app list or a site list and nothing really stands out, what could we do like as a trader and as an agency and as an industry, what could we continue doing? Because um, that is a real problem. I mean, CTV is is <laughs> it's continuing to gain some, um, you know, some media spend, some media some media spend in the industry. I mean, we heard all of the streaming companies war last year be between this Disney Plus and, <laughs> and, and, and all of it. And I think there's another one coming out again this summer. Streaming TV is going to continue, in my opinion, increasing and expanding from a consumer likability versus a media buy, a media spend. What, how can we avoid that? Because... Obviously, it's just bad advertising at this point, and we don't want to continue having that bad rep on, on streaming devices, you know? We don't want to piss off a consumer. Exactly. So what do you suggest we do first down to a trade and all the way up as an industry? What can we do better, maybe? <laughs> I think from, um, and I'll work my way right. maybe down. As an industry what we're seeing right now is uh, there was a time when you know ads txt first came out probably right after 2017 and we saw publishers working with fewer ssps it's going in the other direction so one we now working down from the industry to an agency or a media team level, we have to force that. And how we force that is buying, going back to supply path optimization. It's not the answer for everything, but it's part of the solution. So we need to force them to, if, if we're starving out, that's a bad word, but what they're doing is bad. If we are not, you know, monetizing and spending with the bottom feeder SSPs, there the pubs will have no choice but to go back to a more limited SSP model. And I do see eventually header bidding going away. Um, and real quick for the rest of the listeners, you mentioned when ad TXT. Can you just refresh our memory of what exactly that is? And why yeah. it's so important, actually? Ads TXT was spawned out of, um, it was a project I was involved in. And 
both digital agencies like the one I had been working with and major pubs, we signed non-disclosure form. We went through financials and what we found was for every, you know, dollar I was showing I spent, the pub was showing they were seeing on their books 10 cents. That was how we got their partnership because they saw the money they were losing. So ads txt, the I that came from the IAB. It is a system where pubs can basically declare which SSPs are authentic. Then I think right now most DSPs, and I I know DB360, I know Adelphic, they have the ads DXT declaration. And that limited, it was supply path optimization, you know, occurring um, as a lever almost. But what happened was the app ads TXT came out and it has no teeth. And when I say it has no teeth, there is nothing to fall back on as an advertiser, as a media agency um, where we can be made whole. Mm, Okay. Okay. Um, so it's a form of verification, yes. basically. So the 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 sites or publishers that are ad txt verified have that uh, pretty much that brain safety net um, in terms of like fraudulent inventory or fraudulent impressions being sold on their that website or on the publisher's network. Yes, and the part of that was I think a lot of a lot of in the industry um, thought this was a set it and forget it. And what they realize is unfortunately the fraudsters are pretty smart. So after ads.txt was out for a while, it started to lose a little bit of its punch because the more intelligent fraudsters could navigate through it. Mm, So I think there needed to be a bigger push in the industry to, you know, keep improving ads TXT. Mm, Okay. Okay. But let me just say that out there because I'm sure some listeners have heard me say this, but nothing in our industry and what we do should be a set in and forget it. Oh, absolutely not. Nothing. If if you're doing this right now and like, oh yeah, it's okay, I have a handle. You don't. You you basically don't. Nothing in our industry, (laughs) whether you do a strategy, especially planning, because you want to make sure that whatever you plan works. So you want to follow up with some of the traders or some of the activation teams. Um, So. So yeah, please let's, let's just uh, establish this one one more time. <laughs> Nothing in our industry is a set it and forget it. Absolutely, I think, I think it's a good uh, it's a good segue into the next article that I wanted to briefly go over because uh, it 
It's a, it's a real problem. I mean, uh, we're going through this whole privacy thing in the industry. Third, third-party cookies are going away. I mean, we predicted that uh, a couple years ago. Now it's going away officially on the Google side in the next two years, which we'll probably have you back <laughs> to discuss what that will entail for fellow media, media traders like ourselves. But in this particular article, it is from campaignlive.co.uk. And it was basically just a recap of a conversation um, during the IAB's inaugural trust forum that happened, I think, um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, the article was written by Omar Oaks, and it's called Online Advertisers Should Evolve from Brand Safety to Brand Suitability. I really wanted to opinion on this article um, because of, well, the conversation we just had about set it and forget it, making sure that we, we go back on our campaign, but also making sure that we hold our supply partners, supply path partners accountable for the type of inventory we buy from them. And, <clears throat> and um, it was, so there was a quote from Nick Morley. Um, it's, he's the managing director EMEA from at Integral at Science, which is a very notable brand safety partner in our industry. And I quote that he said, brand safety is often about the non-negotiables, the types of content on particular sites that particular advertisers will find truly objectionable. That safety net will always need to be in place. And he adds, but we need a much more granular set of controls for brand to assess the risk that is applicable to them. So he's basically saying the same thing you're saying. You were saying in the CTVN Roku uh, article in terms of following back and holding our supply path. I mean, our supply partners accountable. But can you help us really understand, like, one, the term supply path optimization that came out last year. <laughs> us, us programmatic ninjas love acronyms. We absolutely adore the acronyms. But I would love your intake on, on SPO and how to implement it in your agency. If you're out there and you're like, wait a minute, how, where do I start? How do I start? Um, SPO is something that I worked on since uh, back from 2015 and before it had a name, before right, it had right. a name. And at that point, it wasn't even about quality as it was pricing. I'm looking at reports because I, I call it self-investment time, but I always try to learn a little more than I learned yesterday when uh, it comes to programmatic. And I found that why is the same, why is, I'm just going to say eBay, why is, you know, the, the viewability is the same on all of these 17 supply vendors. The, it, let's say it's a conversion-based goal. The conversions, basically the success metric is very similar. Why am I paying $5 CPM for, you know, through supply vendor A and I'm paying half that through supply vendor B? And then you could say I'm buying triple that through supply vendor C. What is the difference? And what 
what I found was daisy chaining. So typically when you buy, not always the case, but when you buy direct from the source, it's almost like wholesale. You're in a much better position to get better inventory. It's a shorter tag latency, and we can talk about that. But when supply vendor A sells it to B, sells it to C, sells it to right, D, right. there are ad fees along the way. What we look for are, you know, a higher CPM. So it's actually greater efficiency for the advertiser. And then we look for other metrics because sometimes the ad is ineffective. And what we find is the tag latency is so long. And I know we're talking milliseconds, but if you go to certain URLs, AccuWeather is a good example. Um, you get there and you scroll to where you know you what you want to see, whether it be the seven day forecast, 10 day forecast, and you've already scrolled before the ad even displays. So that's another problem. So we look for different metrics and KPIs. Now, we know that there are about five to six. Uh, I'll just say this. If the, if the SSP has no direct, is not a direct reseller, then of, of any pub, then it's got to go. They're just an exchange. They're almost like an, they're almost like a sub auction from RTB and we don't need it. Right. Cause it's just adding a middleman basically, or another middleman, if I should say, I think that's what Morley explained too in, in the article. He said that advertisers need to adopt a set of customizable risk threshold in which they set the terms of how suitable certain types of content is and therefore how willing they are to advertise against it. So it's up to us to really have those benchmark and transfer those benchmark or require the, the inventory to follow through or come close enough to those benchmark and price it that way. Because ultimately, I mean, we're not, we're so far away from the word big data at this point in our industry. There's no longer the, all the impressions of the world. Like if you are still, it's, it's beyond an impression count at this point. It's really trying to get as close as possible to that consumer engagement to some level. And um, it has to be true, right? It has to be suitable. It has to be uh, able to be customizable. Uh, a campaign in CPG will be different than an educational campaign benchmark and so forth. So it's it's very, that's why it's so, it's so important not to think about just setting a campaign and forgetting about it because you also mentioned earlier, and I think it's so true and I want to point it out that um, those fraud people, they're, they're getting smarter, you know? I mean, our technology is advancing, but they're also advancing. They're, they're wasting no time to come around with the latest. And um, so, so <laughs> we, we can't just sit down and, oh man, there's so much to say about this. <laughs> it is, and you know, another, I think another, what would help with this, and you touched on this about the impressions, is moving more towards a dynamic CPM model. Mm -hmm. And what would that be? Um, a, 
want, if we had a dynamic CPM, it's it, at the end of the day, the uh, advertiser gives us $20,000 a month in exchange for what they hope to be 200 conversions. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does it matter how many impressions we buy to get those 200 conversions? Nope. Nope. I don't and, think it should. <laughs> yeah, the ECPM model gives us the flexibility that if we find inventory that's going to have a positive impact on the mm. campaign, yeah. we can buy it. And we're not held to this impression count, which contributes not only to the fraud, but it contributes to the brand suitability. I, I agree. We can limit, you know, we can, and I don't want to say limit, but we can bid on quality inventory. And on the flip side, because this happens too, and this isn't, I don't think this is uh, talked about enough, but oftentimes on a flat ECPM model, when an IO is structured as so, uh-huh. how many times can we we buy the inventory for less? A lot yeah. of times. So they benefit either way. Either way, it's a win-win for the agency. And it's it, we can optimize, we can we can use the most advanced tools so, such as integral. Integral has some great brand safety um, I've used and I find now, especially what's happening, you know, in, in our political realm, that the hate speech, I mean, oh, that's yeah. a powerful brand safety tool. And there, I don't care um, who you are, if you're a hospital, if you're a university, no one wants their ad displayed yeah, next to that. For sure. Yeah, absolutely yeah, not. No. Yeah. That's universal. Yeah. So so really paying attention to that inventory, to the pricing. Really, um, if you're if the, if you're a brand out there and you don't have that media dependency or a media team, then that's probably time to either hire a consultant, either hire somebody like Shelly or or myself to really help you look into your, you know, your traffic, your inventory. But in addition to that, there are great partners out there. Like we mentioned Integral Ad Science, there's Double Verify, there's uh, Peer39. Those are all great programmatic brand safety uh, vendors that you can reach out to and they can help you implement that onto a campaign. And, and it could be across different paid media campaign as well. Um, there's also White Ops, I believe, that um, works specifically on verifying that most of the inventory you're bidding on is actually human, and and they'll help you just track in a more effective way, I would say, or efficient way when there's non-human traffic. So, so it's beyond the DSP at this point. Those partners are so essential for for helping us combat this, you know, <laughs> well, combat, I don't know if it's a strong word, but help us combat to this. <laughs> I call it combat because, yeah. I mean, you know, it is a battle and I, I, I we cannot repeat this month, uh, enough about set it and forget it. And also evolution because yeah. what we did last year, what I did six months ago 
-hmm. isn't going to be the silver bullet today. And, you know, double verify, they, I'm glad you brought them up. They have a controversial topics, which is how great is that in today's climate, political climate, advertisers, they're concerned about the content their ad's going to show on. These filters help us protect their brand. I think it's so important and uh, I'm anxious to see what's going to happen over, Mm -hmm. you know, over the next year. Yeah, it was, it's been a serious thing in the last couple of years. And like I said, last year, we've heard the term SPO a little bit more. So um, we'll, we'll definitely keep in touch and we'll keep, we'll keep an eye on it because it's much more to say about, but uh, there's much more to learn about as well. Oh yeah. We could have 10 podcasts on it. I don't think you'd yeah. want, I don't think you'd want to, I don't know that the listeners would enjoy it, um, but there are, there is, there is a lot to it. And at some point I do predict there'll be an actual job for an SBO specialist in digital. I mean, it makes absolutely sense. I mean, uh, that's how ad opsync started for a while, right? Right. Um, that's how traders got separated from planners at some point. Mm-hmm. So it, make, it makes absolutely sense to have brand safety and inventory tracking separated from the actual activation piece of trading. Right. Um, I mean, it just makes the whole team more efficient. And then it just it just helps with transparency with the agencies from the agencies into a brand, which is also a real problem in our industry. Why agencies are dropping like flies and brands are, you know, building their own internal media team because they want to really be as involved as possible. So, yeah, I definitely think that it should be considered for sure. Yes. Um, let's, let's move on to our next segment um, sure. that we, where we like to shine our diversity light on either an agency, a brand, a, crea- a creative, or anything related that's done diversity right or wrong. Do you have anything in mind that you'd like to share with us? I do. Oftentimes, and I've seen this throughout the years, sometimes it makes perfect sense to target an ethnicity or a minority. It makes sense. And in some cases, it's a product or service that would be used by these individuals. And I can speak from my own perspective. Oftentimes, it doesn't matter. And and when I say this, um, I, you know, when we have campaigns that are, they're promoting a commodity or something very general. I'm going to say cars. And let's just throw out there Honda Civic, because that's a car that pretty much appeals to everybody. And you see anybody driving it. And I've seen this where they want to market to the African-American community or the Hispanic community. Right. And when you really think about our media consumption, we all check the same weather URL. We all consume our news the same way. So it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense and it's not promoting inclusion at all. So I always combat that with, let's focus on who wants to drive a Civic. 
<laughs> because that ultimately is that ultimately is the goal. And uh, now there are cases when um, you you want to run ads in a uh, different language, mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm, not yes, just yes. the targeting. That makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. I agree on that one too. So you're basically just blowing the whistle on targeting that is very specific to either uh, ethnicity or a specific culture. Right when when okay. it's when it's a commodity that. You know, that's a general commodity. Yeah. Okay. It's just you like never, when, um... you never have it an an agency really come to you and say, Okay, we want to market this to white people. Yeah. And yeah. No, nah, so, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've had a um, client come to us and ask uh us to target like the Hispanic uh community specifically with uh like a huge used vehicles. Um, and it was very interesting because like you said, it, there was no point of just targeting that, like there was no research based, based research that was proven targeting those Hispanic, um, the Hispanic community or the Hispanic audience or the Spanish speaking audience would increase their sales. Like they were just not based in a, they weren't even based in a, um, you know, a Spanish speaking community. So it was kind of off targeting, but the client wanted to, wanted to, to target them so badly. And then we ended up testing it and it didn't really perform as well of the English speaking um, or the non-Hispanic in our cases, audiences. So on that perspective, I would agree, but there's cases where it does work. It does. Now, yeah. I'm going to just give you ex an example of, you know, and, and I want to preface that with, yes, yeah, sometimes it does work. Yeah, 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 of if, course. If, you know, and this is close to home for me, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, a chiropractor wanted to only, um, only reach Arabic women with bad, bad backs. Okay. okay. How do you even set this How, up? <laughs> well, and that was my point is, you know, I, yeah. you don't only treat Arabic women. Mm -hmm. And the answer was no. So just target people with bad backs within a short yeah. radius. Um, because at some point it just becomes, it becomes nonsensical. Mm, got it. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Um, so, so in closing, do you mind sharing two fun facts about yourself and uh, the latest book you've read or the latest audible you are listening to? I'm listening to Tiffany Dofu's uh, Drop the Ball. Oh, okay. it's about juggling family and well it's about not juggling family she's just a great writer and so oh, wow. okay so I highly recommend that and not just for moms for dads out there new moms new dads um great great book two fun facts about myself are um I'm not fun no <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty much all work um I think the fun fact or maybe fact that a lot of people wouldn't know um, when I grow up 
I want to be an astrophysicist. Yes. Now, <clears throat> am I smart enough? Uh, will I have to go to school for 20 years? Quite possibly. Um, but uh, I have seen uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, I've gone to many of his talks. While he is a very nice looking gentleman, uh, I will say that uh, his knowledge is just phenomenal. And wow. And I, you know, I've always been interested in space and physics, but the way, you know, the way he talks and uh, the examples he uses, he is so enthusiastic. So that would be a fact that I don't think a lot of people know. And I don't know if it's fun, but I, I can say it's interesting. Nice, nice. Well, thank you for sharing. And lastly, do you have any advice for young, you know, for programmatic uh, ninjas that are starting off in the industry, you know, young Padawans that want to dive into our industry and are not sure if they want to be in activation and reporting and supply on the buy side, the sales side? <laughs> do you I, have any advice for them? I do. And it's simple be curious, just be curious, because if you're satisfied with the answer, tend to not grow. I don't mean to challenge your supervisor or your mentee or your coworkers. I mean to ask why, to understand. If you are with a company that does um, value growth, which most of the agencies, uh, digital agencies do, some don't, but like I said, we're ever evolving. Yes. There's always a new way to think about things. I, you know, I've been in this a long time and I'm, I think we're all experts, but oftentimes somebody brand new will say something to me and I'm thinking that's genius. Why didn't I think about it? It's the curiosity that you have to have a natural curiosity, which I think most new traders do have that. So yeah, yeah. foster your curiosity. I would agree with you 100%. You have to, like you said, foster that curiosity, but also develop that investigative mindset that why is this happening? Like, let me, let me really look into it. Really to be successful in our industry, you have to have that mindset. It's, it's nothing, like you said, it's not confrontational. It's just like, hey, I'm just trying to understand so I can, you know, move forward and I cannot either repeat it or repeat it because it did work. Absolutely. My, my, my media director, mm -hmm. I'm going to give her a plug, Tasha. She mm -hmm. is the absolute best at asking why, why do you, you know, where did you come up with this? And, mm -hmm. um, I remember when I first started working here, she said, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying, I, I really want to know. And, it, and now when she doesn't ask why I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering, but, but we're kind of on the same page now and oftentimes yeah, yeah, of the same but, it's, but it's so nice too that uh, there's a lot of times when I'm bringing up something or an initiative and she's already thinking of the potential hurdles and that's great for me to have I have that I have a leader that fosters not only my critical thinking but she's always practicing it herself. So great role model. Yeah, that's, that's great. And it sets the rest of the team up for success. So shout out to Tasha Sosa. Yes. You're the, you're, you're the there bomb. we go. <laughs> 
There well, we thank you so much for um, for joining us today. We had a lot of fun, and then we'll definitely invite you back because we have more questions to ask on this topic. Oh, Ellen, thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, it was great to be here. Again, you'll find everything we've discussed today, including our guest information, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. You can also sign up to receive our newsletter weekly, when a new episode drops, or monthly, if you like to binge like I do. In conclusion, fam, our mission on this podcast is to share knowledge, highlight diversity and inclusion in our industry, and educate ourselves as we continue to build this community of curious and confident programmatic ninjas.